0: Family, I'm going to dive right in. Can you stand with me for the reading of God's word and get Acts chapter 16? Acts chapter 16, uh, we're just going to read verses 9 and 10. Uh, In this crowd, I know most of you have the elect standard version. So we uh, will all be on the same page. Uh, Let's read out loud together and then I'll pray and see what God has for us. Uh, Hear now the word of the Lord. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. Keep going. Macedonia, there, urging him and saying, come to Macedonia and help us. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the truth of the gospel. Thank you for the reality of the gospel, that it is by grace through faith and that alone that we are saved. And we cannot muster up the moral resume to approach you, Uh, so you had to build that resume for us in the atonement. And so we celebrate that reality, God, of who you are and what you have done for us. And I ask and I plead, God, that you would set me aside, that I would preach the truth of the scriptures, that we will be blown away by grace and that, by that grace alone would continue to compel us to plant churches, to essentially plant the gospel, to see our cities reflect pre-Genesis 3 reality. Uh, because this is what you have done. And this is what we preach. This is what we proclaim. This is what we believe, God. And so we celebrate that truth. And it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. Uh, again, I'm glad to be before you. Uh, one of the things I love about our network it is uh, it is truly a family. Um, several men laid hands and prayed over me and texted me uh, right before I made it up here and encouraged me to preach the gospel. Uh, and that's what we are about. That, that word, you're going to hear that word a lot, not, not because it's a fancy term, but because we believe it and because we have been blown away by its truth and we continue to be blown away by its truth. And so what I want to do with the few moments I have before you this morning is I hope to share how the uh, theological distinctive of who we are as a network compels us, how our theology compels us to our four hopes so that we can see the gospel planted in our cities and people come to know Jesus, to trust Jesus, to worship Jesus because of the gospel being planted in these cities because that's where our hope is. And so I want to read something else. I just want us to look at Paul's life and look at what led up to what we call the Macedonian call. I want to read to what he said to his young buck, his spiritual son, Titus, in Titus 2:11 through 14. all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works." And what we see there is Paul consistently throughout his life and ministry gives us orthodoxy, what we should believe, and orthopraxy, how that should play out. And if I was to attempt to summarize the central theological distinctive of our network, it is this that drives the Acts 29 network. But this is what we hope to drive our churches, and that is this reality, that the Scripture, the 66 books, over 30,000 promises reveal this one simple truth that the triune God as creator is redeeming mankind to himself through the son. The the triune God, God, Father, Son, and Spirit, the co-equal, the co-eternal trinity God. We see that he has a community all within himself. He is a triune God. As creator, meaning that he does not come from anything, from nothing. He speaks the earth into existence. He is the creator. He doesn't have an origin. No one made him. He's the creator. But what is his mission? After Genesis 3, the triune God as creator redeems. Redemption is what we preach. Redeems meaning to buy back. He buys back his people. He redeeming who? Mankind, us. Us fallen sons and daughters. Us that are without hope if we are without him. He redeems us who? To himself. Why? Because we could not redeem. We did not have it in our bank account to pay the debt that we owed. So this triune God, who's the creator, redeems mankind to himself, why? For his glory, which the prophet Isaiah says, he does not share that because his glory is what matters. His glory, according to Hebrews, is what led Jesus to scorn the shame of the cross. The glory of the Father being the main thing and the glory of the Father is being the central theme of our churches and why we plant these churches. This is the truth that we believe. This is the truth that we preach, that there's a triune God as creator, redeeming mankind to himself through the Son. We do not muster up the moral resume to come before him. He simply did it because, as he tells Titus, grace appeared, and grace appeared as a person in the work of Jesus Christ. And we want to plant the centrality of the gospel. That theological distinctive leads us to our four hopes, And that first one being churches that plant churches. We believe that God gives the vision, God grants the vision, and God sustains the vision. Why? Uh, Because in your church plants, you're going to be challenged beyond belief. You're going to experience the highs and lows of ministry because ministry involves people, and people are fickle like we are with God. And he gives us this responsibility to preach to him, but we have to remember that The vision is God, and the reason I started with Acts 16 is because I want us to remember, guys, that God gives the vision. God is the ultimate visionary, and you're just stewarding what he's been doing. We're stewarding what he's doing. and Yes, you're going to contextualize it, and yes, you have your points, and, and all those things are fantastic, but ultimately, God gave the vision. He actually prevented them from going to Asia because he wanted them to go somewhere specifically so that his name and renown could be preached. So as we work our way up here, we see that in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he tells that you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts. That was the divine scattering to fulfill the great commission that Jesus had gave them in Matthew 28. It's through divine scattering that we see the gospel being propagated throughout Asia Minor and all the other places. In chapter 2, the Spirit shows up. And it's the day of Pentecost, and tongues were spoken. Don't get, don't get, don't get scared, Baptists. But but tongues were spoken. The tongues were spoken in there. Chapter three. Peter, who denied Jesus, now filled of the Spirit, uh, heals a man. And in chapter four, he boldly preaches the gospel. By chapter five, the church has ballooned to five thousand plus. Chapter 6 there, is so big, deacons need to be selected, so deacon Stephen is selected. Chapter 7, deacon Stephen takes them from the Old Testament to Jesus, and he is stoned. In chapter 8, we find out that Paul approved his stoning, but in chapter 9, the one who approved his stoning, he meets Jesus, and he's the one who writes. In chapter 2, grace appeared because grace appeared to him. I wish somebody would help me right there. But because grace... Grace appeared to him, and so this is what happened in his life. And so I want us to look through his life because we want to plant churches that plant other churches because in Acts chapter 14, 23, Paul begins to appoint elders, and they prayed over, and these churches are planted. But essentially, what do we want to plant? We want to plant the gospel. Now, not the prosperity gospel which sanctions hedonism, not the poverty gospel which basically deifies suffering, Not the gifts gospel where we focus so much on the gifts that we miss him. But lastly, not the anthropocentric gospel that makes the vision all about us. We want to plant the gospel, not any other false gospel, just the gospel, nothing in front of it. Because Paul says if any other gospel is preached in Galatians 1, 8, let a curse be upon you. We want to plant the gospel, the gospel, the unadulterated gospel of Jesus that saves us and that should continue to blow us away now. That's what we want to plant because the vision is not ours. We don't want you guys and we don't want to be ourselves anthropocentric when it is about us. Our gifting is not the reason our church grows, it is a move of the Spirit, period. We see this in Paul's life in Acts 14 8 through 18. Uh, the, the, the people want to come and worship him. They want to call uh, Barnabas Zeus, and they want to call Paul Hermes, and they want to come and worship him. And Paul backs up. And they say, no, no, glory belongs to the Father and to him alone. Because he does not want this anthropocentric gospel being preached where he's the star. He wants Jesus to be the star. But as we do this, family, we're going to have to fight. We're going to have internal conflict, external conflict, an executive conflict. In Acts chapter 14, verse 2, uh, unbelieving Jews came, and it began to infect the very church, and we're going to see this, and so as we're planting churches, we got to fight for this because there's going to be internal conflict, and one of the things you'll learn quick is this. I didn't know this until I planted my church. Did you know that sheep can bite like lions? Did you know that? Anybody with me? Amen, somebody. The sheep can bite like lions. In other words, you can be hurt beyond belief. The person that you walked with, who did not know the term missional and all this fancy stuff, and all of a sudden they go to one conference, come back brand new. Internal conflict. The same ones that he led. We we see this in the church in Corinth. They questioned his apostleship. Internal conflict, but we continue to fight because we're planting the gospel, we're not planting ourselves. And so when the conflict happens, we say, hey, Jesus suffered. He told us. He said, look, when they hate you, no, they hated me first. It's going to happen. But then there's external conflict in Acts 14, verse 19, because we're working our way up to chapter 16. We want you to see what happened in Paul's life. Jews come from Antioch and Iconium, and they persecute Paul and his ministry some more. So he has conflict going within. He has conflict coming without. But what does Paul do? He keeps preaching. Why? Because the gospel is what compelled him. That was it. The gospel is what compelled him, so he continues to preach the gospel. You're going to have this difficulty. You're going to have things from the internal. You'll have things from the external. Those that don't share our theological distinctives that will say, you oppressing women because you believe at such and such. You're doing this because you believe such and such, and that's going to come. But then there's a third level of conflict that Paul encountered, executive level, Acts 15, 36-41, when Paul and Barnabas had to separate. Have you, have you felt that? Executive level to where all three levels of conflict we're going to experience, and if this church is built on anything other than the gospel, you're going to make it about you and you're going to quit because you're going to have members that have issues with you, those on the outside that have issues with you, and some of your best friends or someone that you're real close with or some at the executive level of the church, conflict may be there too. What does Paul do? Keeps preaching. Keeps preaching. Keeps preaching. All this has happened before we get to the Macedonian call. We're going to see joy because what keeps them going? When we get to chapter 15 and you have the Jerusalem Council, and they basically say, yeah, the, Jews, the Gentiles need to come along, and they t- r- go back and they read the letter. And the Bible records, Dr. Luke records, who wrote Acts, how the people rejoiced over this reality. And as we preach the gospel and we see our people excited and lives change, and baptisms happening and churches planted, again, remember whose vision created all of that. Then we find ourselves in Acts 16, which leads us to our second hope. We want to be a radically diverse network. Here's what we believe the gospel is not color and culture blind, it's color and culture engaging. The, the gospel doesn't tell us to be blind to who I am because God created color. We don't need to be blind to the Imago Day. We, we want to celebrate the Imago Day, and collectively, we form a beautiful tapestry of God's beautiful creation. And so we want churches to do that. We don't want to turn from this, but if we're serious about this, there's three questions we're going to need to ask ourselves. Number one, what am I willing to give up? Because not everyone is feeling this diversity thing. What am I willing to give up? What am I willing to give up? Am I willing to give up my worship preference? Because I see this as a gospel issue. Number two, who am I willing to lose? Who, who am I willing to lose? Because again, it's real easy to just be homogenous because it's easy to, to stay in circles with those that you understand and think like you and look like you and prefer the same worship sounding as you. So it's easy. Am I willing to lose some of my close friends because I see diversity as an outpouring of the gospel? <laughs> I'm not saying homogenous churches are sinful, but we want our churches to reflect the cities and most of our search, our, church, our cities are not one culture. And after asking what am I willing to give up, and who am I willing to lose? The third question we got to ask ourselves is, do I believe it's worth it? Because how you answer that question really determines if we'll really pursue that, because it's real easy to say this, and I've seen this in my own ministry, that as we pursued this, yes, there were African Americans that were not feeling this. I said, well, Raleigh isn't just black. That's my city. It's, 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 it's diverse, and we want our church to reflect that. I had to ask myself those questions, and you're going to have to ask yourself the same thing. And if you believe it's worth it based on it as an outpouring of the gospel, diversity is not the gospel, but we believe it's a byproduct of it, Because as we see, we see him preaching the gospel there. In chapter 13, there was this diverse leadership that we had there, and then they go preach. And it's interesting because Paul, being a a Jewish man, would most likely would have prayed the prayer that most Jewish men prayed, waking up early in the morning, thank God I'm not a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. And if you break down Acts chapter 16, he preached the gospel, Lydia, who's a woman. The second is a slave girl, and a Philippian jailer is a Gentile. Do I believe the gospel is worth me being uncomfortable because the gospel is a call to discomfort? Paul, a Jew called the Gentiles. Is it really worth it? Do we believe it? Well, Jesus got uncomfortable. All of earth is the hood compared to glory. Come on, Come on, Amen. Compared to glory. Amen. And Paul does this. But in order for us to pursue this, what am I willing to lose? What am I willing to give up? Who am I willing to lose? Do I believe it's worth it? Paul thought it was worth it so much so that he rebuked Peter. And I'm sorry, I don't think it was a diplomatic rebuke. Says he rebuked them harshly to his face. No, no, what you're doing is not in line with the gospel. You're leading Barnabas astray. Do we feel as passionate about this when certain jokes are made in private? Because we see interracial confrontation. Paul, a Jew, confronts Peter, another Jew. Are we willing to do this? That leads us to number three. We want to be serious about evangelisms and conversions. We believe you grow the church from the outside in, but lives are changed from the inside out. Evangelism and discipleship go hand in hand, and they're never separated. And so we see this, again, once we finally get to this Macedonian call, we see ethnic diversity, we see cultural and class diversity, we see all this, and we see Paul going to these places with intentionality because we go from, in Jesus' life, from come and see to go and tell. Go and tell. There's some intentionality here, so we want to be serious about conversions. Conversions. And so we don't want the idea of election to be a prison to cause us to not go out and actively share. We want to share because grace appeared. Titus 2, grace appeared in the person and work of Jesus, and people need to know about him. People need to know who he is, what he's done, and we can't wait for them to come to us. That's what we see. We're serious about it. The gospel being this inside-out working of God that transforms our lives, who addresses our pride, who addresses our prejudice, who addresses our lust, who confronts us with our sin but extends his grace, and that grace changes us. That's a beautiful reality. We're not religious. which is outside in. You know, get your moral resume together. Jesus would rip that up. But we simply want to approach him. The gospel transcends culture. We see this in the life and ministry of Jesus. I want to be serious about this. Then our last one. I want to be known for holiness and humility. True fulfillment is found in self-denial, sacrifice, and selflessness. Now think about this. Again, I just want us to look in the life of a church planner, Acts 14, 19. Paul is beat to within an inch of his life and he goes back. Now, that makes absolutely no sense unless you feel called by someone higher than yourself and you believe that this calling is worth your life. Do you believe the calling is worth your life? We'll give our lives to it. And I'm sorry, but you have to be humble to go back into that city. Now, here's why Paul was born back then and not me. Because in 2nd Opinions 8 have 9, it would have read, read, and Jerome was beat to within an inch of his life. He went and got the Gentile converts. They came back and they wrecked shop. And in the Greek, it would have said wrecked shop. In the Greek. That's what it said. It would have said they wrecked shop. But because of the gospel of humility, he, he knows about the suffering of Jesus because when Jesus came to him in Acts 9, he said, no, you're persecuting my children. Yeah. Paul, it's my children that you're persecuting. Paul says, well, who are you? I'm Jesus, and in persecuting my children, you're persecuting me, and now you're going to be my chosen instrument, and you're going to suffer. It takes humility to suffer well. And do we not see this in the life and ministry of Jesus? In Philippians 2, does it not beautifully paint that picture? Acts 16, 25. Look at the humility of, of, of Paul. God sends a catered earthquake. <laughs> the earthquake doesn't destroy them. No rocks fall on their head. The gates are open. He has every right to walk out. The Philippian jailer is ready to kill himself, and Paul says, oh, we're here. We're not going anywhere. The doors are open. I'm going to deny my freedom for the sake of your soul. I'm going to deny my freedom for the sake of your soul, because that's what my Savior did. And because that's what my Savior did, that's what we do. That takes humility. We want to be humble in three primary ways. We want to be humble with our families. Not every opportunity, not every speaking engagement is an actual opportunity. Not every opportunity is an opportunity. I was sharing with the guys during my breakout. I, I, I want to let my wife speak into my schedule because I'm prone to overdo it, if I'm honest. I'm prone to overdo it. I'm prone, oh, yeah, I can do that and preach twice and do this. Yeah, yeah, man, Yeah. And especially if you're an urban, you're an urban church planner, it's an honorarium. Yeah. You got to get it. <laughs> we want to be humble in our preaching. We want to preach grace and truth and trust in the Spirit and not our gifting. I, I, I love that the Bible says, man, Peter wasn't that smart. Now, we deify the MDiv. We deify the MDiv. Now, we're, we're not anti. You, you know we're doctrinal. We, 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 we love sound doctrine. All, all that stuff is great. All that stuff is great. But, but we got to operate in humility to know that when our people are hurting, they don't need a Calvin quote. They need a hug. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Need a hug. Not deep. When, when someone has a miscarriage, it's not time to quote C.S. Lewis. I believe in Christianity not because, uh, like I believe the sun, not because I see the sun, but because by it I see everything else. Great quote, wrong timing. Wrong timing. Wrong timing. And it's in humility we see that, but also humble with our churches. Paul held it very loosely. Paul held it very loosely. You know, at any given time, God could call you to give that thing up. And can I be honest? That terrifies me. Wow, because I've, I've, can we be honest? Can, I be, can, I, can, can y'all counsel me for a second? I put in work. I put in money. I've cried tears. I've been betrayed. I've. That's the problem. I'm talking about me. I've and God can say yeah you've given 10 years of your life to this look I want you to move let somebody else take it over I'm like Ananias when God told him to go to Paul you you, you sure Jesus you sure my connection ain't working right I'm not hearing you didn't just ask me to leave this church you told me to plant I've given 10 years of my life and you telling me to go somewhere yeah Because remember, Acts 9, it's my vision. You're just stewarding it. It's it's my vision. Then lastly, we want to be humble with our own lives. When we think about, before we go to humility with our churches, I want two things, well, not things, but, but two areas of my life. I want my wife and kids to outlive me, and I want my church to outlive me. I want my church to outlive me. Now, obviously I want my, I want my wife and my kids to outlive me. And I, and I let my wife know, listen, you know, if, if God takes me, just don't marry a scrub. Or I, or I will ask for permission to haunt you. It'll be the conjuring all up in there, the hood version. The conjuring all up in there. God, let me haunt this dude. So I want my wife and my kids out, but I, I want my church to outlive me. Now, why do I want my church to outlive me? Because it's not built on Jerome. I want the church to outlive me. Hopefully you want your church to outlive you because, again, we reject the anthropocentric gospel, the man-centered gospel. It's not built on me. I want it to outlive me. And clearly Paul's church has outlived him. Now watch this. Look at this humility with his own life. 2 Timothy chapter 4, 16 and 18. Look, look at what Paul said. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me. But all, all deserted me. But look at his response. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord, now I need y'all to be Pentecostal for two minutes. Verse 17, but the Lord stood by me. (laughs) Everyone else left me. But the Lord stood by me, not only that, and strengthened me so that through me the message, what, the message of the gospel might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Is, is this not good? Is this not shout worthy? He says, look, if, if everyone else leave, if everyone on your core team leaves, if, if, if people you thought that said they love your preaching, they, they love you, they're going to be there with you, one day they up and leave. If everyone leaves, the humility of the gospel says, but God is with me. Because that was the promise he gave. Listen, I will be with you when? Until the end of the age. And if he is with you, you can keep going. You can keep going. Here's the beautiful thing I love about the gospel Paul displays just this inverted nature or this counterintuitive nature of the gospel. It's, it's, it's upside down. It's, it's upside down. A, a couple. Years ago, we saw Michigan in the championship, in the NCAA championship. And it reminded everybody of the Fab Five. Anybody remember that? The Fab Five. Chris Webber, all these cats, the Fab Five. (laughs) The Fab Five. And the, the, the Fab Five broke all types of records, these five freshmen tearing the thing up, but then a couple years later, it came out, some scandals came out. And as a result of the scandals that it came out about the Fab Five, they took the banners down, they took the 400 plus thousand back on account of what had happened, and so their accomplishments was blotted out by their sin. But the gospel flips that thing upside down. When you come to Jesus, Your sin is blotted out, and you get the accomplishments of the Savior. I wish two people was with me on that. That's what drives Paul, that reality. Everything else is set up. We live in a works-based world, which is why we need a grace-based gospel, so that we cannot pat ourselves on the back, But we can point to our Savior. And as we experience these highs and we experience these lows, and you will. I'll tell you, just like I tell the married couples, I say, oh, just keep living. You'll have some days you won't be smiling. But you don't quit. You don't quit. And isn't it interesting that Paul, this single guy, gives us this wisdom on marriage And points to our relationship with Christ. It's going to be rough. But where's our joy? Our joy is in the hope of Jesus Christ. Who paid the price for our sin. Who paid the debt we could not pay. Who lived and died in our place. The triune God. As creator. Redeeming mankind. To himself. Through the son. That theological distinctive drives these four hopes, and I pray that that drives your ministries. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. And God, let me just take a moment to pray for the families represented, the marriages represented. But I pray that there is space for through all of this, for a wife to speak honestly with her husband about feeling thrown into this. Lord, grant her courage. Grant her courage to speak to her husband honestly. Lord, give him humility to accept it. Father, it's easy to come in circles like this and inflate our numbers, inflate what's going on, Because we're prone to place our identity in the Sunday numbers. Lord, let us not be defined by that, but by our eternal status secured by you. And I pray with my brothers as I fight those same idols. Help us to remember, how, how did Paul encourage himself? Paul used the gospel as a verb. He gospeled himself and reminded himself that Jesus is with me. When it doesn't make sense, Jesus is with me. And let that beautiful reality encourage us and compel us to plant the gospel, to see people become worshipers of you and disciples of you, in Christ's name, amen.